Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest where a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, mm. culture, <laughs> what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought, a moment on the lips, Giardia. <laughs> I was ready for like a you poem. Have- a look on your face, too, team. I was like, this is, I was like, this is going to be something. Really a moment. I'm always, is, is everyone else who listens to this podcast just always so excited to hear what noise Den is going to make? <laughs> yes. 100%. In the introduction. There's rage, girl. There is a rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fran, last time on our intro, you said you wanted to be a couple, third. Like I want to be a third. Yeah, it is, uh, I, you know, at both when I'm coupled and when I'm not, this is like the ideal. Yeah, you need to situation. teach you more about this. It's like it's. I love it, especially when in the couple and you have kind of a consistent third. So it's like the fun of the threesome yeah. and all the excitement and the newness, but a little bit. But the consistency, it's easier to have conversations around like prep usage or STIs. It's it's easier to like you kind of develop a rapport, but it always has that newness. Yeah. And it's, I also really like having um sort of couple boyfriends where it's like we can all actually go out and get a drink and, and hang out, and it's actually like mm-hmm. we all like each other mm. and like the sex is just sort of an extension of that and mm. it feels like a very safe way to have something quasi non-monogamous you know what i mean yeah, yeah. i think that i'm i mean as t- we said earlier like i am i can't do commitment very well so i love the idea of a third because it's like commitment light mm-hmm. a recurring mm-hmm. third like they're relying on you to show up when you call and yes. i love to be told what to do and i feel like there is a cap on what I'm expected to give. Yes. 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 And I love commitment so much that this is like commitment on top of my commitment. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's like, I love the consistency and the routine. What do you look for in a third? You know, there there has to be mutual attraction. There has to be sexual compatibility. And I, I I really like it when like we can all hang out and it just, it feels like you have the newness and the excitement without a lot of the drama and without a lot of the, the, the messy, the bad type of messiness that can come. If like someone's more into one person than the other or uh, there's like maybe a sexual match but you don't like being around the person that much it's just it's an, it's nice to kind of have a, a known quantity but like mm-hmm. an, ex- an exciting one and I also feel like you know I my partner and I we haven't yet quite found the exact right person, but we've had a few sort of rotate in and out and we've got, we've gone on couple dates, which I love, you know, mm. with me, with no expectation. Yes, no sex could happen, but uh, you know, we'd all just go out and have a drink and have dinner and hang out. And it's like, it's so fun to just be a little flirtatious. It feels yeah. like you, you feel like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm being bad, but like my boyfriend's right here. And it's just, kind of, I don't know. It's nice. It's really yeah. a simple pleasure. I also think nice. if people opened up their idea of what commitment could be, there would be less mm-hmm. disappointment in relationships. I just, I, <laughs> Yeah, I wonder so that true. because that's like so the true. the the trap of heterosexual um, ideals of monogamy. I mean, I don't necessarily believe in polyamory necessarily, but I would like the option to be open. I because yeah. if I'm committed to somebody, I would like to that commitment to continue. I don't want it to think that like. I don't know. I think I think a lot of people get in their own heads about monogamy, and that's why they end up breaking up. Yes, Tommy, yeah. say that. Who is having that conversation? <laughs> oh literally every queer in Brooklyn. For yeah, every, yeah, yeah, literally yeah, everybody. Like, but you know who's not having it? People in Los Angeles. Oh wow! <laughs> Wait, really? You, I've had so many conversations with gay men. Uh-huh. I hear that, wow. like. Open relationships and thirds is like not even an option. Wow. Like it's so foreign. The idea of being in an open relationship or having a third is so like 
outside the realm of possibility. That wow. is that's so a huge wild. blanket statement about Los Angeles. So Feel free to, to me. prove me wrong, but until I then, also, but I also have to say that I don't love the assumption that like polyamory is the only way to do a no, relationship. Yeah, There's yeah. also right, like people right. who are like anyone who's monogamous is like just uh you know sort of colonize their desire. It's yeah. like people are allowed to do what they like and what makes mm-hmm. them happy and yeah. what makes their partner happy. It's like yeah, I do think if people were more honest about all their desires, maybe outside the relationship, there'd be less like cheating and you know things that happen where there's right. not There's like honesty judgment. And where there's, but there's judgment in both ways. And it's like, man, life is hard enough. Can't everyone just do what works for them and just mm. leave it at that? Like people yeah, are so yeah. judgy of other people's relationship choices. I per- I love the the consistent third. Huge, mm, huge fan. It. It's. I'll just say that I might be about to become a consistent third. I'm sure oh. you it's people here. Y'all know I'm involved with someone who's married and <sighs> there's conversations and there's dinners and drink states and we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Um, everyone has to be fully comfortable, but, and fully on board. And Have they still... got a finger in? <laughs> Not yet. Not the dipstick yet. test. They got a finger in right now. Um, <laughs> the, the, the dipstick. As we speak. <laughs> but what I can just say about the whole situation um, is that I used to be someone who I was like, I can only be monogamous. And um, over the last few years, the most consistent sort of like lovers that I've had have been people who were in open relationships. Lovers, um, you say. Lovers. 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 Like a meat lover's pizza? Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I that is one context in which I do love meat, not pizza sex. Mm. Um, but I would just say that like it's really changed the way I think about desire and my needs and my wants. And I'm so much more open to different kinds of things. And I feel like as long as communication is 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 sort of upfront and clear, um, it's kind of like the sky's the limit in terms of what you can do. If you're the if you're a person who wants that, and the people around you are people mm-hmm. who want that and mm-hmm. can sort of handle that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a, yeah. a, a a little thought process, a nice little mini thought process mini to get thought started. Teebs, get us out of here. I got you. <laughs> My name is Tommy Teebs Pico. I'm an Indigenous American poet, screenwriter. TV writer, and I'm pretty sure by the time this episode drops, my episode of Reservation Dogs will have aired. I co-wrote episode 104, What About Your Dad, with Bobby Wilson, and um, it's out there now. Some of my wrote is on TV, bitch. That's right. To watch yes. it. I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and frankly, I wore a gimp outfit better than Kim Kardashian. <gasps> what's I did. A, what's a gimp outfit? What? It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll talk about it. Let it go right over your head, Dan. (laughs) I truly don't know. It's fine. It's fine. I am Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. And Giardia is nothing to joke about. (laughs) Okay, Tommy. I'm fed up. Are you the only one of us who's gotten it? Are you, are you fed up because be of your only stomach one. issues because of Giardia? Am I the only one? Yes, yes, yes. I've gotten it multiple times. It's just because you, you love the booty. You love the booty. Eating, ass eating dirty ass. There's, there's no other reason <laughs> other than eating That's ass. That's because you like yourself some disheveled ass twinks. <laughs> I, That's true. <laughs> from a chaotic bottom. I love a chaotic bottom. I love a needy love a chaotic- bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm right here, Fran. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. I quit. I quit. My Uber is two minutes away. Um, and I'm Den Michelle and I'm a reader, a writer, and a former figure skater. And I'm just here to say that trans is beautiful. Aww. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine if one of us was like no it's not (laughs) (laughs) today Dennis takes us away in a game sorry today Den takes us away in a game we cope barely Mm? it's about coping our show today we cope barely and for dessert Teebs is gonna write us a little poem buck 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 be duck I'm feeling a little peckish. I think we should start the top of the show with the way any good top should, with our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Boosh, and to amuse our booshes. Den, take Den. it away. Ow, ow, ow. I do. I do. I'm here. I have a game. <laughs> it's called Homo Nim. Y'all have heard it before. It is a thought classic. Um, and we are just going to... Oh, actually, let me explain the game in case you don't know it. Basically, I take several things that sound similar, and we pick... What is the gayest? Mm-hmm. Hate it. Mm-hmm. Homo nim. Homo nim. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Love Victor. Love Simon. 
Love Actually. <laughs> no. Obviously, Love Actually is the gayest movie. And there's no question. Anybody that has watched either of those other franchises can attest that those are heterosexual <laughs> propaganda. Yeah. yeah. It is heterosexual propaganda. Is anyone in those shows or movies actually gay? But truly, like it 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 they are like straight. Like the both of those actors are straight and yeah. played by straight people and mm. they give straight vibes and the characters are of the heterosexual imagination. It is true. I do feel like um Laura Linney makes Love Actually Queer and yeah. also all of the holiday pageantry. Um there are a lot of gay people in Love Actually. There's Alan Rickman. All right. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> yes. Oh, oh I forgot about I mean, him. Emma Thompson gives a gay performance. She talks oh, about Joni Mitchell. Gay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Hello. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um mm-hmm. Olivia Rodrigo, Olivia Pope, Olivia Newton-John. Okay. Okay. Olivia Newton-John physical, is pretty physical. gay. She is pretty gay. Who's, oh, Olivia, she's vintage gay. I was about to say, who is Olivia Pope? No, <laughs> Olivia Pope. That's so embarrassing. Have you seen that? Have you seen that meme where she's like, "Oh yes, 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 yes so yes. embarrassing." Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. I mean, the pantsuits and the Prada bags. Uh, for yeah, her. but she is just so aggressively straight. Yeah, she just yeah. will not know, stop giving it up to President Daddy. Yeah, President I, Daddy. I mean, I I would. It's, oh, it's honestly the heterosexuality is what got me stop stop watching the show. Wow. I watched it four whole seasons and I finally couldn't take it anymore. And it's funny that it's like it. it's the heterosexuality that took you out and not like the increasing stakes of the show. Yes. It was yes. like I mean to absurd <laughs> levels. Yeah. It was like, did his son just get taken out on stage? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> the night before the presidential election. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a mess. Um RuPaul. Ooh. Ru McClanahan. Ooh. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Oh, it's got to be Rudolph. Rudolph. It's got to be. Ooh, I feel like that nose just has been some places. That nose has no, seen that, things. That nose has had Giardia three <laughs> times. Nose, oh, no. <laughs> Such a show-off. Nose Such Giardia. A show-off. That's why it's red. That's why it's permanently I mean, red. Rudolph is canonically a queer story. <laughs> yes. Like, we can all agree on that. Yes. Like, story of not belonging. Yes. Everyone else makes fun of him. Yeah. Calls him a faggot. <laughs> Do you? That you was my like, favorite part of the story. Prancer being like, shut up, faggot. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, 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 and Rudolph your is name like, is Dancer. Where do you get off, Dancer? Blitzer. Okay, Vixen. Whatever your name is. Donder? Who the fuck is named Donder? Yes. Donder. Donder ass bitch. Oh my god. Right. Wow. Y'all took it places. <laughs> Prince Harry, Harry Potter, Harry Styles, Harry Buttholes. Oh. oh, I mean, uh, I think hairy buttholes are queer, not gay. Uh, mm, and mm, so I mm, will say angry. Harry Styles. Harry, how about Harry Potter fanfic? Oh, there are some oh, very gay no. I Harry would, Potter fanfic. I didn't think about that. The way I would pull my patch to <laughs> Harry Potter fan fiction. Yes. Wow. Just, yes. That, wow. that got wow. me yes. so good yes. when I was in yes. fifth grade. Yes. Some <laughs> things are better left unsaid. <laughs> I could have left that one to the imagination. <laughs> that would be alright. So I did not engage so in Harry good. Potter fanfic. The bi- I might the, the, have to. The, the, there's hot. some great bisexual ones. Yeah. Hermione topping. It's all about like, Harry. Oh, and, it's all about Harry and Draco. It's all about I oh. like the Harry and Ron ones. Are there any you Harry would. and Hagrid? It's less. <laughs> with Harry and Ron, with Harry and Ron, it's less believable. With Harry and Draco, like they want to fuck. Mm-hmm. They do. They, they do. do. You know? yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, for, the, the amazing thing about fanfic, Den, is that whatever you want to exist, yeah, it it, it definitely someone wrote that on the internet. Someone wrote that. You could be like, oh wow, I didn't realize there was a erotic fanfic about the giant octopus monster from Star Wars. <laughs> yes, like, that's like, li- like there's everything. Everything. Yeah. Got I, it all. I am obsessed with this <laughs> fanfiction. <laughs> Den is hearing about fanfiction <laughs> for, for the, the first, first time on this Den. show. What is going on? <laughs> is anyone surprised? Oh, this is God. amazing. Proud of what, you. I, what else is there... Well, okay. I'll ask what, everything. What else is there on the internet? What else? But what, what else is there 
fan fiction up. We'll take that conversation Papa, offline. That's gonna be that's gonna be for high tops later. Oh. Fill me in on the fan fiction. Um, okay, we're gonna do. All right, I have a few fun ones left. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Leslie Jones, Leslie Jordan, Beverly Leslie. Who's Beverly Leslie? Who's Leslie Leslie Jones? They're the same person. Leslie Jones. Leslie so, Jones plays Beverly Leslie on Leslie, Will and Grace. Oh, Leslie Jordan. Yeah, Leslie oh, Jordan is the comedian. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was getting confused with my Leslies. Yeah, oh, that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, There's yeah, a lot yeah, of Leslies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Leslie. Um, I guess the gayest would be. I guess Beverly Leslie is gayest. I would say that. Yeah, I think they're tied. It's a, this is a three way tie, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all gay, yeah. yeah. and they're all gay in different ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Leslie Jones is all about the gay screaming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that is. There's Especially when she's that. watching the Olympics. Have yes. you seen her watching anything? True, Literally true. anything. Her at a fashion show, screaming at the model, <laughs> screaming, <laughs> "Work, diva." <laughs> Queen! <laughs> yeah, just screaming. She's like falling out of her chair. Yeah. And I'm like, and same thing when she was on Drag Race. She was just screaming. Be like, ow! Just like, you're like, are you okay? <laughs> also, her hair on Drag Race, that giant Diana Ross. Oh, it was. I love her. Leslie, come on our show. Come on our show. Okay. Um, Tommy T. No, Pico. you're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Hilfiger. The straightest person of all time. Yeah. Tommy. <laughs> Bahama. Oh my God. Hawaiian shirts are gay. Hawaiian so. shirts are gay. Yeah. When I was in high school, I, I I was in Ohio. I thought that my Hawaiian shirt made me identifiably gay. Okay, wait. T- Tommy, Bahama, and then is there any, is that it? All three? Yeah. What about also Tommy Pickles? Shoes? Oh. Tommy Pickles! <laughs> ah, yes, Tommy Pickles. Canonically queer. <laughs> Tom's shoes are, are gay. Tom's shoes are gay. And Christian. Wait, they're oh. Christian? Yeah, they donate to like Christian missionaries. In a good way? Because I just saw a cute pair of heels that I saw and they were Tom's and I was like, oh, I might get Tom's those. heels? <laughs> Did Den just ask, are they Christian in a good way? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know either. Anyways, oh, the answer God. is Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> yes. 100%. Tommy Pico is the most homophobic thing on this yes. list. I agree. Absolutely. Speaking of Tommy Hilfiger, have you seen the new Ivy Park? Is it yes. The rodeo shit. Yes, oh yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. so the good. The yeah. chaps. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, well, we need we need we need chaps. Mm-hmm. We need chaps. I actually have chaps in my purse right now <laughs> because I'm wearing them to the disco party later. Anyways, <laughs> catch my um, Joseph Osmondson, Joseph Robinette Biden, oh Jojo. God. Oh, I mostly just wanted to say the word Robinette. I knew that. I d- <laughs> The, the gayest thing on this list is the name Robinette. Is the name Robinette. <laughs> the gayest <laughs> thing is Den saying Robinette. Yeah. <laughs> Robinette, 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 Robinette. Oh, no, he's here. <laughs> he has arrived. <laughs> and finally, Fran Torado, Fran Drescher, Fran Leibowitz. Well, oh. this is a good list of France. I mean. It's a good list of France. It's a good friend. Um. Okay, this is. This is hard. Uh. Fran it's, Drescher it's, it's is canonically Fran, queer. It's Fran Drescher. I know. I think. Well, okay. Yeah, she is queer in that she is like a ta- destroy the patriarchy socialist. Yes, mm-hmm. but I think that Fran Drescher is gayer than me. And Fran Leibovitz obviously hates fags. So, <laughs> but, but like, yeah. what what gayer thing to do than to hate fags? That's true. That's true. true. She's, she's That's grumpy. Gays. She has very loud opinions yeah. yes. that are often wrong, <laughs> yeah. and she hates fags. She yeah. so. literally hates men in shorts. Like when I when I think about dancer, prancer, and vixen saying "Shut up, faggot," <laughs> yeah. I hear Fran Leibovitz's yes. voice. Yeah. <laughs> and then her Shut up, faggot. And then her self satisfied. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh god, no. Alright, well, that's it from us, game. Thanks. Thanks, girls. <laughs> mm, it's time we got to the meat of our discussion. The thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. And this week, I've got the pepperoni, so <laughs> We're going to talk about coping mechanisms. As an entree to that, I want to talk about something else. But I just wanted to start off by saying I've operated in my life so much more in survival mode Mm -hmm. than I have in comfort. And I think because of that, I haven't had a ton of capacity for reflection. Um, There's sometimes been course correction, but I had to live. And so anything that supported me living, I absorbed. And anything that was in contra to that, I let go. Um, 
It's like, how do I mitigate this trauma, this struggle, this pain? And, you know, keep it hoofing. And as you get older and as you change and evolve, you might find that some of those coping mechanisms have rotted. They stink. Yeah, they don't work anymore. And I've thought about it a lot. And my main analogy and the way that I was thinking about, you know, getting rid of these sort of coping mechanisms is almost like having to break up with friends. You know, like you make like friends you made in high school or friends you made in college to get you through a certain circumstance that you've then had to kind of let go at a certain point and how awkward and painful that can be. Yeah. So as an entree to talking about coping mechanisms, the first thing I would like to ask is, have you had have you done that before? Like had to break up with a friend or felt a friendship sliding that you had made at a time in your life when you definitely needed that person or people to survive then you got older and you were like i don't need these folks anymore Mm. so Mm. we ended up not breaking up as friends but actually um the same week in fact that i met the three of you um when we were at tin house in 2016 um my best friend from high school um, she lives in the Portland area and we were like going through some shit and we had really been sort of like off our rhythm for like three or four years and we, it had kind of exploded into this, this like fight on fucking Facebook and um we just kind of realized we were like not seeing eye to eye. We weren't matching. And by that point I had already said to like other people that I was close to in my life, some of whom who knew her and knew her sort of well, because like she had been my friend for so long. Um, I was like, I don't know if we would like, if we met today, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that we would be friends. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got together that week and had a kind of come to Jesus conversation. And we made the conscious decision not to break up as friends and to like work each other, work each other back into our lives and rebuild our friendship, which we have done, but it has taken years and it's taken a lot of learning how to communicate in different ways because we're such different people than we were when we were aligned in everything at like the age of 17, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that, has been an experience that has been with me because it's, I would say that the disintegration was maybe three or four years of disintegration Mm. and the rebuild has also been about four years. That's exactly what I'm not trying to do. Like, I think that I've gone through the friend breakup or the friendship in general that took four years. And I feel like I, whenever I get the, the thing that happens where I'm like, Oh, that is, so fucked up like i i don't think i can call you a friend anymore mm-hmm. that is when i'm just like i yeah. can't run i'm not gonna try and stretch that out for like four years you know what i yeah. mean and i think that it's too easy to just as Teeb said hold on to like your vices mm. and hold on to the things that are like crutches and comfort objects i used to have um a poetry teacher that would talk about crutches which is something that a lot of writers you know have to deal with what are the devices Mm -hmm. the tricks the metaphors that you employ just a little bit too often Mm -hmm. um and she says something she was like we like our 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 crutches like we like the smell of our own poop and i was like oh i was like what i was like i like hate i hate that i hate it so much but also it's It's really true but i also feel like sometimes you can be like that with a toxic friend and i don't know if i've ever had a serious friend breakup but i've had a lot of conscious uncouplings Mm -hmm. and definitely have had friends where i'm like you are not in this friend space with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like have to put you in another place. But I never want to be in a scenario where I can't see someone at a party. Slash, I don't right. have anybody in my life where if I saw them at a party, I would wig out. But I do, I, I need to be able to walk up and say, hey, how's it going? Mm. And then we keep moving. I had a friend breakup in my late 20s that was as traumatic as a lot of romantic partnership yep. breakups that I had. Yep, yep, yep. And as toxic because the person who... I got broken up with. He didn't tell me. He didn't. He fundamentally, he, like, he did not tell me we were breaking up. We Love were breaking that. up because he had a friend break up with a, a, a mutual friend of ours, Idiot. and I had stayed friends with her. And that hey. was that mm. was the rupture. He was like, "I introduced you to her. I'm not friends with any, her anymore. How dare you still be friends with her?" But did not tell me this at all. Was one of my best friends. I mean, it was really. And so what happened was like 
we had been like not seeing each. He got really sick also. Mm. Um, and I, my boyfriend at the time lived around the corner from his house. So I would be like, Hey, do you need me to bring you soup? Like, do you need any do you, errands run? Like, can I, and he would be like, no. And I just thought, well, he's sick. He's not doing well. Maybe he just wants to be mm. on his own. And like six months later, I, um, RSUPD, yes to a birthday party of another mutual friend of ours. And he sent me this text being like, how dare you go to that birthday party that oh, someone invited God. you to? You know we're not friends anymore you're, because you're friends with X person. And now you're trying to be friends with Y person too. And I introduced you to all of these people. And I was like, I had no idea you were mad at me. <laughs> like, mm. And he had this whole narrative around when he was sick that like, oh, all of my friends are shitty. None of my friends offered to help me. And I was like, I was right there offering yeah. to help you. And it was really, really hurtful. It was like he was one of my best friends, like a, a ride or die, like a Judy. We would go out together. But he was like also smart. Like he I, it was like my best New York City friend. I was really I was really betrayed and heartbroken mm. at, at this at this breakup. And I tried to. I tried to mend it. After that time, uh, I, I I said, "Hey, we need to have dinner because there's some stuff going on between us that I don't know about." And we had dinner, and he, you know, we sort of decided to try to repair. But I noticed after another six months or a year, like there was no interaction that I didn't initiate. He wasn't meeting me halfway, and this was the start of my 30s being like, I don't feed relationships that make me feel bad about myself more often than not. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that's what this relationship was, and I had to like a breakup. I had to mourn it. I just had to leave it. I had it was not, Mm. it was not. But I I, I wasn't prepared for how hurtful it was. We we don't think about friend breakups being as Mm -hmm. sort of disruptive to your life uh, and social network as romantic partnerships. But this one totally was. And in part because we had so many mutual friends and he was so like crazy protect, like we friend broke up because of like the interactions with our Mm -hmm. mutual friends. It was just, I'm still upset about it. Yeah. Did you like communicate it with him or were you able to just kind of pull away without actually having to say anything? No, at that point, at the point at which like I just stopped, I I stopped reaching out and then it just, that was it. I kind of want to get back. So like in that, like in the, on this discussion of like breakups and, and like, and like those conscious uncouplings and falling outs that we have, like in that is a lot of pain. And I totally agree with you, Joe, like my kind of friend breakups or the breakups that I had with people that were really like, partners that were friends like those hurt the most and then we fall into patterned coping behavior Uh and dissociation and all of the things like what are like y'all's best and worst devices coping mechanisms tools uh Bad bad things. Klonopin and Chardonnay. Klonopin, I've heard of it. say, I love to drink. (laughs) 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 It it is what it is. (laughs) We love giving bad advice. Uh, You know what I realized as an adult? You know, I kind of, I joke about this with Drea a lot because we do Scream Queen together. We actually recorded in this room uh, yesterday. Mm. And... I'm, you know, I, I have this reputation for being a jumpy bitch, even though like I love scary movies. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely mm-hmm. skittish. Yeah. I can't even have like it's, um, it's hard to even have somebody put makeup on me because I'm kind of like always oh, like, yeah. And I realized that like that is the result of like having to feel like like living a childhood on eggshells, mm-hmm. and having to feel like at any moment because I was raised on a res and there was like a lot of people on meth. And meth makes people very, very unstable. Mm-hmm. And you don't know if someone is going to hug you or take a swipe at you. Mm. And I think having being raised in that, it, it, it left a residual skittishness mm-hmm. inside of me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I expect everything is going to be a threat. Mm-hmm. Un- underneath it all, you know, I've gotten a lot better at, you know, living my life and being an adult, being comfortable and living in places where I'm not going to be subjected to violence. But like, you know, it is, it is something that I think we, and especially as queer people, like I, we kind of mm-hmm. get used to this idea that at the end of anything is potentially a threat. Mm-hmm. Like on the other side of any window, any door, any corner, mm-hmm. you know, we're living in the scary movie of our lives. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? Oh God. And I was thinking about how I, I had, had a, um, somebody was asking me about the res the other day and um, I was talking about um, the difference between cousins taking shots at you and homophobia. Mm-hmm. And uh, that my cousins and I would do basically the dozen just go back and forth cracking on each other and it's like anytime somebody called me i i got made of made fun of for my my femininity my effeminacy but it never felt like it was homophobic Mm. because my cousin would say 
fat girl and i'd be like well i hope hook on phonics work for you you illiterate bitch because he had a problem reading you know what i mean but that's how we went back and forth with each other and when and we got outside the res on east county and the the place that I, the outside the borderland of the reservation that's where i felt like when somebody called me a faggot you're like they, oh almost, you mean it yeah um because it felt like inside the res an insult was a prelude to laughter mm-hmm. outside the res an insult felt prelude to violence mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and that is how i think that's this in such a formative time in my life how it how i saw it develop something necrotic inside of me something mm-hmm. self-conscious and self-hating mm-hmm. you know because i had to be ready to defend myself some way um yeah. that, you like, dissociated a lot well right? that's 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 where the coping mechanism mm-hmm. came in that i realized in pandemic was still very much a part of me mm-hmm. because in the absence of being able to get away i had to get away inside my mind mm-hmm. you know i didn't have a choice whether or not and it happened every single day i get on the bus and they would take me to the school outside the res and I would feel myself floating away on the bus ride there mm-hmm. because I couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I had to go to school. Like, I had to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. I, and I counted down the days until my 18th birthday, bitch. Like, mm-hmm. I counted down the days until mm-hmm. I was going to be able to graduate from high school and leave that place behind. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in reflection. I wasn't trying to get off the res. I was trying to get out of East County. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, I, and it kind of, like, I had entangled those things in my mind. Mm-hmm. And even now, I mean presence of mind is so important to me mm-hmm. and it's so important to and it's it, it you need it to be doing the jobs that we're doing mm-hmm. you have to be so incredibly present in order to do this job yeah. in order to have conversations with people mm-hmm. and in order to have public conversations with people that people are then going to consume themselves mm-hmm. and i've always said that in order to be a great writer you have to be an excellent listener you have mm-hmm. to be way better at listening than you are at writing mm-hmm. and i think that i've attributed some of that growth to my ability to let my dissociative tendencies simmer down a little bit Mm. to look at them to recognize when they want to come up because especially when it comes to performance especially when it comes to like stuff like this like podcasting or those things that i know will be consumed publicly i feel that i feel that dissociative tendency kind of creeping up on me because it's trying to protect me from being hurt Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. like no this is the ticket to my ascension Mm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and and like understanding the difference between those two things because everything can feel like a threat but like this like something about 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 um anxiousness and excitement yeah that kind of share a space with each other 100 percent share a space Mm -hmm. yeah and Uh, let me tell you the bus a great place to dissociate. Oh. <laughs> uh, a uh, one of the top five best places to dissociate for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I uh I don't dissociate. I spiral. Mm. <laughs> um say more. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I have always been too present. If anything, my issue is being too present in my feelings. Uh and, and that's why spiraling is is a real problem. Like just the anxiety becomes a feed forward loop and it just like it goes and it goes and there's no stopping it. And uh, yeah, it's just how like learning it's it's is it's kind of like the flip side of what you're saying, Teebs, where you have to recognize, know what it's coming from, know what it start, feels like in your body when it starts, and then start to learn tools to take that feeling and do something else with it. Mm-hmm. Take that feeling and, and, and accept it, recognize it, but don't let it feed forward to more and more and more and more. And a lot of times yeah. it is like, this is like, you know, a tried and true like thing that therapists always say is that like, sometimes it's like taking that feeling and, you know, molding it. And other times it's like understanding that a lot of times the agony is around something that we think we feel as opposed to what we actually feel. Mm -hmm. And I think I personally like something that has been really like helpful for me to cope when the weight of the world is too much or when I'm really frustrated with a situation or a breakup or what have you is like trying to dig into like what I think I feel or what I think I'm frustrated about. And then being like, what is this actually about? And Mm. what do you actually want? Mm. Um, I like, I mean, y'all know that, like, this has been, like, a very not fun few months for me mental health-wise. And, like, I 
as we all know, like as something that I've talked about on this podcast a lot is like, I'm like addicted to work and like work is definitely like a coping mechanism. It's something that kind mm. of salves through pain or things that you just don't want to deal with. And I recently made des- the decision to not work for two months and to see what happens. I am to- so happy for you. Thank yes. you to me. And I like made that intention to be like, I'm going to focus on my writing. I'm going to focus on my me projects and like, I'm going to invest in myself mm-hmm. and be with myself. And I got even more depressed. Oh, immediately. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The first like week, what I was down. Because you're and like, I, what do I do? Yeah. And I was like, wait, like, what? Like, why? I, I did this to feel better. Like, why am I feeling this way? Uh-huh. And of course, friend of the pond, Chetty Nicholas, told me the thing that, I mean, she's always just says, she just always knows what to say. And she was just like, well, I mean, you've been self-medicating with work for 30 years or however many years you've, <laughs> you've been, been work, you've been working you've been self-medicating and avoiding your own problems and and using work to like soothe the wound so of course the day you quit cold turkey mm-hmm. there's gonna be withdrawal you're gonna feel like fucking shit yeah. like it makes sense mm-hmm. and i yeah, that addiction. was like such a i think it brings it back to where tommy started us on and that like we really do love our own pattern behavior yeah. uh, or at least we are addicted to our own pattern behavior and addicted to our own like coping mechanisms well, so it's, it's always yeah. worth investigating what you do to sell yeah because it's easy to get comfortable there you know mm-hmm. what to expect yeah. nothing's gonna the mm-hmm. thing is taking time off to work for yourself the way that you've worked for other people would give will drive you into unexpected territory mm-hmm. yep. and that's the fear mm-hmm. yeah but again that's also the ascension. Yeah. yeah. I remember being like that in my early 20s and, and I working for so many other people. And it wasn't until I took those four months off where I wrote IRL. Mm. And I was like, oh. oh. And it was all me. Yeah. It wasn't filtered through somebody else. Yeah. It wasn't somebody else's edits. It wasn't for somebody else's project. Right. It wasn't for somebody else's like website or whatever. It was all me. And that was scary because yeah. it came out. And you see yourself. Yeah. And yeah. you see like... Not just the places that you want to see from. It's not just your living room mirror. You know what I mean? Like, you see all the angles. You're like, damn, I didn't know it looked like that from down there. Mm -hmm. I think, Fran, your point is so important that when you try to step away from your coping mechanisms, there's going to be a lot of pain. You're going to want to go right back. And and that's fine. And sometimes you will go right back. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's... it's accepting that process, acknowledging that there will be pain and trying to, my therapist is always like sit in and move through. Don't be so avoidant with it. But it's also, there's, it's not like you have to do it tomorrow. It's not like you have to do it cold turkey. It's like, it's going to be a lifelong yeah. journey. And there's going to be times when, when you cannot do it. Yeah. And that's fine. It is fine that there are times when you do, you have no space for that additional pain and suffering in your life. And there are going to be times when you're going to choose it. And I think that yeah. like being able to choose uh, when you're going to approach it and when you're going to sit in it and move through it and what that might give you, like Tommy is saying, what that might give your creative work, what that might give your capacity for relationships, for friendships, for romantic partnerships that you might not have in the more coping space, but also just like loving on yourself and ex- mm-hmm. accepting that it's it's a process. There's no arrival. Yeah, <laughs> like there's yeah. no arrival. <laughs> there, yeah, there's no healthy in a world as as ours is. Yeah. It, it's just. It's it's coping, doing the best we can, but in a way that tries to allow for creative possibility, for creative joy between people, for deep and loving relationships. And loving on yourself is so important in the, if you go back to your vice, don't punish yourself. Exactly. Like, that's just, that that you're gonna, that's a vicious cycle. Just be like, okay, I did that. I needed that, maybe. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There's the, a definite tendency to slip back into those. But also for for you, because you're diving into like creative work too. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole nother sort of level of like turbulence that can come with that too, like even separate from the coping. So that's like twofold and super intense, but also like what you get out of it. I feel like it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So much more rewarding than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Any, any other thing. No, no yeah. other assignment for another person is going to give you the satisfaction that you give yourself working on your own of shit. Your own, your but, own shit. but, but the thing that you also experience when you get rid of these coping mechanisms, however necrotic they may be, you're going to be grieving them. Oh, yeah. oh. you know, grief is Ooh. such a huge part of it. Ooh. It's complicated and it doesn't present itself immediately as yeah, such, no, it but not. it is another, it's a presence that, 
that you've held close to you mm-hmm. that you've taken away. It's sort of like yeah. deferred grief. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't grieve as a child. You did not have the capacity to deal with the pain at that point. And so the dissociation or whatever the coping is, is like, well, this has to wait. This has to wait till later. And then we have a choice yeah. around when we pick that up and when we actually allow that feeling to come in yeah. and see what's on the other side of that feeling. Yeah. Because it's one of those things, you know, when you get to this p- part in a writing project or whatever, where you're like, before before the initial edits, you're like, I'll get that, I'll get to that later. Exactly. Later on in the, the writing TKs. process, yeah, yeah, TK, I'll TK, get to that later. TK, like, TK. I'll I'll get, to, I'll figure that out later. Well, it's later. It's later. <laughs> it's later. Let me tell you, it's tomorrow. <laughs> I was talking to my therapist about this because mine, my, my, the thing that I have to address in my life is my insomnia. Mm. Oh. It rules everything, oh. and I've been in denial of it for so long. And I was like. Dr. John, this is a Thursday problem, and today's Thursday. Yeah. We yeah. need to do this. <laughs> because yeah. in a month, I might be on set. Yeah. And I'll yeah. need to be able to sleep and wake up at a yeah. certain time, and I'll need to be in front of cameras, Dr. Yeah. John. And so, those hours are long. You know, so this is a Thursday problem, and it's Thursday, bitch. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> Defer it no longer. Mm-hmm. It is today. Yeah, that is. But I think that's that's what, that's it. And it's it's when we when we accept our problems for what they are that gives us the possibility of seeing the other side of them. And also, I've struggled with insomnia my whole life. I will always struggle with insomnia. Always, mm-hmm. I, I accept that. But it also allows me to figure out healthy coping mm-hmm. management to to try to have it be a smaller part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't, I don't want it to feel like, I mean, punishment. Mm-hmm. You know, because not being able to sleep, especially with all of these motherfucking articles that come out like, well, if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to die. And it's like, you're acting like it's my fault that I can't sleep. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck, NPR? Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you, NPR. Also, we're all going to die anyway. Life wait. is temporary. <laughs> death. So, Welcome. Death, Please. Please. death is upon you. us. Um, My whole thing is and you all kind of know that like I feel like I perform a lot of extroversion but in fact I'm a pretty introverted person and for me like the first step in me coping with anything is privacy um remove like, yeah I, it's it is it is absolute remove I have to extract myself from the situation or from the world and put myself in my own quiet place and then I have my I have my routines I have my things um but I have to be by myself and have n- and have no one else around in order for me to face what is going on what i'm what i'm doing what i'm struggling with and i used to be really proud of that practice because i felt like one i was able to take care of myself which was really important to me and two that i was not a burden on anyone else that my emotional care was no one else's problem or responsibility and when i was really young i like really i yeah i just had a lot of pride in that and i i recently watched um like a Tabitha Brown like video and she sort of said something sort of flippantly that I think maybe she says at the end of a lot of videos where she's like if you if you can't have a good day like don't ruin someone else's day and that was kind of how I thought about a lot of these things but one of the things that I've learned in the last few years um partly through therapy partly through the three of you is that in fact um if I can't let anyone see what I'm struggling with mm-hmm. or what I'm dealing with then they can't help me. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's going on behind the scene. Mm-hmm. And then I can spiral. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's like becoming this thing where like, I'm having to figure out how I can cope healthily and give myself that space because I need mm-hmm. that space to go there. Yeah, I need that privacy. But then how do I come out of it so that I can move forward? And... <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the ways that this was like most sort of active for me, even was just last year when I started working with my therapist and I sought her out because I was like, I think maybe I'm trans and I think I have to deal with this. And in our first session, I was like, I think maybe I'm trans, but I also need to give myself the space for the possibility that I might accept myself as trans, but never transition mm. and never tell anyone publicly. Mm. Wow. Um, and I just had to say that and I had to have her allow that mm. in order for me to actually dive in and face myself and giving myself the freedom to have that privacy was the first time that I was like, okay, now I'm not scared to like actually address this, to name this, to accept this, mm-hmm. to explore what it looks like if I don't keep this to myself for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But also 
I can move forward and feel like I have agency mm-hmm. in how I want to move forward. And that was really important for me. So it's like, again, it's like that finding that private place for me, but then being able to move out. And that's what I was doing by finding therapy, by seeking therapy mm-hmm. and by like talking to my therapist. Mm-hmm. She was the first person where I was like, I have that space. The, the What you talk about though is the exact reason why I'm terrible in a romantic relationship. I was yeah, just going right. to say, you yeah. know, because I'm like, you need to figure out everything without me saying anything to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I operate. And then they just piss me off when they can't read my mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so interesting then because it sounds like you're opening up to the possibility of intimacy really because it's not, you know, yeah, it's great not to be a burden on other people, but if you can't share yourself when you're coping with something with anyone else, well, you're not going to be able to share yourself with anyone else. Cause yeah. there will be periods yeah. of life when you are coping with something. Mm, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm so proud. And I think, you know, Therapy is a really special space because it's both private and public. You share something out loud with another human, but it stays in that locked room um, where you are supposed to work through private things together Mm -hmm. with someone. I think that models really beautifully intimacy that you can build with other human beings outside of that room as well, that there are people and rooms that are safe enough to be our most damaged, fucked up, unsure selves and and i think that's i think that's really beautiful yeah so true i think we look a lot we often like think that we have to have all the answers with this Mm -hmm. stuff but there just needs to be more ways where we cannot know Mm -hmm. and that's okay yeah and and safe spaces and y'all know y'all have provided that for me at different points through this and like um basically we're telling you all go find friends go find friends (laughs) cope with friends spiral I'm feeling full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Den knows how I feel. And this week... That one sounded demented. (laughs) That sounded like a bird. No, we're going. No, it was kind of like sexy dying animal. (laughs) (laughs) Dying animal, but make it fashion. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's fine. We have... We have so many moments. Oh, God. So I want to talk about... See, here's the thing. I haven't written a poem in a very long time. It was something that was my constant companion for Mm -hmm. decades of my life, and I find myself without it any longer. And I also haven't really read very much, and I've been working Mm -hmm. in a a job. TV writing, there's almost no writing Mm -hmm. a part of it. Most of it is being with other people in a room. So funny. Yeah, it's true. And there's only maybe two weeks out of the whole year where you go off and write your episode. But other than that, you're just bullshitting and so i've kind of felt like i'm like is my writing atrophying because it's not a daily practice anymore it has been a daily practice for so long but then i found myself getting into in the absence of being able to write poetry i started to read it again and i'm really excited there are a couple of debut collections out now um one that just came out one that came out a while ago um the first one is negotiations by destiny o birdsong Mm -hmm. came out on tin house um i felt like i was really paying it forward because morgan parker had forwarded my manuscript to the editor at tin house when i was looking for a publisher for nature poem for nature poem yes and and i was able to do that with destiny's manuscript i i gave it to to tin house to be like if you want this and it would be in your best interest to want this Mm -hmm. but you know this is there and so i was able to help um introduce destiny to that publisher which it has like you know no bearing on my my love of the book but um it's so so the negotiations i'm just going to read the the bad cover copy but um what makes a self in her remarkable debut collection of poems destiny o birdsong writes fearlessly towards this question laced with ratchetry yet hungering for its own respectability negotiations is about what it means to live in this america about cardi b and top tier journal publications about autoimmune disease and the speaker's intense hunger for her own body a surprise of self-love in the aftermath of both assault and diagnosis it's a series of love letters to black women who are often singled out for abuse and assault silence and token fetishization and cultural appropriation and raise in ways that throw the rock yet hide the hand it is a book about tenderness and an indictment of people and systems that attempt to narrow black women's lives their power but it is also an examination of complicity both a narrative and a black box warning for a particular kind of self-healing that requires recognizing culpability when and where it exists mm. 
So NBD, but it's also just, <laughs> it's so beautifully mm. readable. You know, it's, 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 it's almost mm. like, it's, it's like you don't even have a choice. When you mm-hmm. open up that book, you're going to read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Her 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 work is addictive in that way. Ooh, you know when I you just get like a good that. writer who just like they're they're like yeah. it's like a a buzzing fuzzy feeling inside mm-hmm. of you when you read their work because mm-hmm. they're just picking all the right words. Yeah. yeah. Um, the second book is another debut collection um, by this writer Ariana Brown called "We Are Owed." I first Ooh. encountered Ariana's work I think 2015. I was writing junk. I was in Austin, Texas for MLA with my friend Roy. And I was trying to introduce various academics to my work. And this is for all you writers, you young writers out there who are getting your first novels and your first poetry books and shit published. Get them mm-hmm. adopted in courses. Mm-hmm. Because if you get mm-hmm. English teachers to teach your books, you will have a new crop of kids every semester and they will pay you to take you out there and to meet them and to get money. They buy books too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like a win-win-win. Yeah. So I would recommend... Talking to the nerds. Yeah. Talking to nerds. the nerds. Why did you point at me when you said that? <laughs> the, it was the... more of a vague gesture. <laughs> to Some of these. The room. <laughs> uh, and I was, so I was in Austin and I, um, I, there, I met a bunch of people there, Cam Awkward Rich and Sam Sachs and, and um, Ariana was one of them. We all read together in Austin and she's one of those people who I pride myself on being a great orator of my own work. Bitch, Ariana is on another level. Ooh. She's one of those people where you like, there's some people whose books you can read and you can read out loud. And then some of them where you're just like, I'm going to let this exist in my mind because I know how she would read it. And I don't want to disrespect this work <laughs> by trying to put it in my own mouth. <laughs> the only thing you won't put in your own mouth. Nope. The only, and, and there's like only a few people. I feel like Denez is like that. You know, yeah. it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to let this be its own thing yeah. because I know how Denez would read this and it sounds great in my head. Mm-hmm. And Ariana is one of those people. Um, so in I, We Are Owned is a debut poetry collection of Ariana Brown exploring black relationality in Mexican and Mexic- Mexican-American spaces through poems about the author's childhood in Texas and a trip to Mexico as an adult, Brown interrogates the accepted origin stories of Mexican identity. We Are Owed asks the reader to develop a Black consciousness by rejecting U.S., Chicano, and Mexican nationalism and confronting anti-Black erasure and empire building. As Brown searches for other Black kinfolk in the same spaces through which she moves, her experiences of Blackness are placed in conversation with the histories of formerly enslaved Africans in Texas and Mexico. There's just so much about her work and her voice and her writing that has that propulsive fresh like a propulsive freshness to it yeah. you're just like you, somebody who's so obviously at the peak or i wouldn't say at the peaks because she just keep there's an ascension but there's a mo- momentum to her mm-hmm. writing where mm-hmm. you're like you are a truth seeker Mm-hmm. not just a writer this mm-hmm. is it's it's not like this writing lives in a world of its own this mm-hmm. writing lives in this world mm-hmm. and it pulls you into it 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 both encompasses the world and remakes it mm-hmm. you know and i just find it to be like destinies so incredibly readable mm-hmm. where you're just like these words in somebody else's pen would feel they wouldn't have this energy mm-hmm. to them mm-hmm. you know and at any time that it when you read it and it's just like oh this wants to be spoken out loud mm-hmm. you know this you wants to be in yeah. the world yeah i love it and, mm-hmm. and she has such a distinctive voice and a distinct and, and such a lovely person as well yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, i can't so, wait to pick oh, it up yeah so we they are owed and the negotiations um pick them up uh, wherever well not on amazon but where any <laughs> buy your local bookstore indiebound.com whatever just not amazon right. not amazon not amazon This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our home at Stitcher. Our producer is the Rihanna of the podcast world, Alexandra De Palma. (laughs) Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Joe Goes Vegan. And imagine those farts. Oh, Oh my God. Dear. No, 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 no. Inventive. My name is Tommy Teebs-Pico. You can find me at HeyTeebs, H-E-Y-T-E-B-S, on Instagram because I quit Twitter. You can... uh... I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squishco on all social media and find my newsletter in my bio as well. 
And I'm Den Michelle, and you can find me at the Den Michelle on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> find us on Instagram. It's Gay Sluts Who Read or Gay Sluts Horad, however you decide to pronounce that. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts spelled how? G H O T. Well, that, that, Harmonizing, y'all. Beautiful. (laughs) Just call me.